Welcome back to Magna Vita. I'm Alex Olson. Every Tuesday, we share the best practices and principles from the week's top podcasts. Every Friday, we share a bonus episode to help us build a great life. Last Friday, we talked about how J.K. Rowling failed and was rejected by 12 different publishers before she succeeded. Every other week, we'll be reviewing a book we just read. This week will be our seventh book review. How Will You Measure Your Life is written by Clayton Christensen, James Allworth, and Karen Dillon. Clayton Christensen is a Harvard Business School professor, a Rhodes Scholar, and best-selling author of 10 books. He's known for his theory of disruptive innovation, which has been called the most influential business idea of the 21st century. In this book, the authors apply management principles to our personal lives. It's designed to help any reader forge their own path to fulfillment. It's a guidebook for our future. And it's really interesting the backstory that he gets in, that they talk about a little bit about why they wrote the book. As Christensen went to his reunion at Harvard Business School, People were successful professionally, but failing personally. Their relationships were deteriorating, and some people were even going to prison for unethical actions. The same thing happened with his fellow Rhodes Scholars. And I think there's a really important lesson here that these are two of the most prestigious programs, being a Rhodes Scholar and being a graduate from Harvard Business School. For them, life still wasn't easy. Success wasn't everything. And it can actually lead to our downfall if we aren't careful. His classmates focused on the wrong things. They would say that relationships were the most important part of their life, but their actions showed that they valued their profession over the people in their life. And my... This gets to what I think my favorite part of the book might be, which is the title, How Will You Measure Your Life? The authors talk about how important it is to take time to reflect on what success looks like for us. I think it's so easy to get caught up in comparison and trying to compete with other people that we never step back to think, is this really what matters most? And I like the authors say there are no easy answers, but they tried to provide us theories that help us to think about life's hardest and most important questions. So these three questions are how the book is divided and broken up. How can I find satisfaction in my career? How can I find happiness in my relationships? And how can I stay out of jail? To find happiness in our career, the authors talk about three things, motivation, finding good work, and our priorities. They say the trap many people fall into is to allocate their time to whoever screams loudest and their talent to whatever offers them the fastest reward. The motivating factors are challenging work, recognition, responsibility, and personal growth. But it's important to note that money is not one of the things that motivate us. They say that if we're 
not being paid enough, then that can demotivate us. It can make us dissatisfied with our job and become frustrated and upset. But money alone, a super high salary, is not enough to motivate us and to give us meaning. The authors say in order to really find happiness, you need to continue looking for opportunities that you believe are meaningful, in which you will be able to learn new things, to succeed, and be given more and more responsibility to shoulder. To do this, they talked about the importance of finding good work. And they said we have to balance the pursuit of goals with taking advantage of unanticipated opportunities. They said we need to get out there and try stuff until we learn where our talents, interests, and priorities begin to pay off. They said success hinges on continuing to experiment until we find meaningful work. Which leads to the next section and the last one about careers, which is our priorities. They said that it all comes down to what we prioritize. The root cause of business disasters, and I think personal failures, is focusing on immediate gratification in place of work that results in long-term success. They said the danger for high achieving people is that they'll unconsciously allocate their resources to activities that yield the most immediate tangible accomplishments because they provide concrete evidence that they are moving forward. His classmates that failed personally prioritized promotions and raises over relationships and family. Those immediate returns locked them into a vicious cycle where they felt they had to succeed professionally to finance their lifestyle. These ambitious people would say that their family is most important to them, but they devoted less and less time to them. And I really like just to wrap this section up, the quote that they said, with every moment of your time, every decision about how you spend your energy and your money, you are making a statement about what really matters to you. If the decisions you make about where you invest your blood, sweat, and tears are not consistent with the person you aspire to be, you'll never become that person. To find happiness in our relationships, the authors talked about three things, investment, growth, and culture. They said high achievers focus a great deal on becoming the person they want to be at work and far too little on the person they want to be at home. And this isn't easy because of what we already talked about. And I really liked Clayton Christensen said, I've had to force myself to stay aligned with what matters most to me by setting hard stops, barriers, and boundaries in my life to keep myself true to what I most value. And I think this is especially true with work where it's easy to get caught up in climbing the corporate ladder and focusing on the next promotion because it's so measurable. But I really like the author said, work can bring you a sense of fulfillment, but it pales in comparison to the enduring happiness you can find in the intimate relationships that you cultivate with your family and close friends. They are worth fighting for. I think this is especially true because 
In the Air Force, we talk a lot about how everybody's going to have to retire and transition at some point. Even if you become the head of the Air Force, a four-star general, after 30 years, you're going to have to retire. And eventually, at the end of the day, we're all going to retire, but our family will still be there. And so, same with our friends. And that's why it's so important to invest in those relationships while they are still strong. The authors say, if you defer investing t your time and energy until you see that you need to, chances are it will already be too late. So to do this, we need to think about what other people need from us, not what we want in the relationship. This is especially true with our spouse. The authors say we project what we want and assume that it's also what our spouse wants. The path to happiness in a relationship is to find someone who you want to make happy, someone whose happiness is worth devoting yourself to. Be willing to suppress your own priorities and desires and focus on doing what is required to make the other person happy. I love that advice with relationships because it's so easy to get caught up and to think that the other person wants what we want or just to focus somewhat selfishly on what we want in the relationship. But I think it's a win-win as we focus on lifting the other person then that other person will be grateful and will help lift us as well. Then the authors with relationships, they pivoted and they talked a lot about parenting. And I thought it was great. We're obviously not parents yet, um, but I think it's helpful whether or not you have children because they talked about how to build a culture and that can help in your personal life or with friends or with your spouse as well as with children. So the authors talked about how companies that outsource important things that they do, sometimes they lose abilities that they will need in the future. And they said that it's the same with our children, that we can't outsource raising our children, and that we need to let our children work, struggle, and grow. They said by sheltering children from the problems that arise in life, we have inadvertently denied this generation the ability to, de to develop the processes and priorities it needs to succeed. Self-esteem comes from achieving something important when it's hard to do. So I really like this idea that they're saying with kids, we, we don't need to baby them, that they can learn how to get back up when they fall down. And to do that, the authors say, encourage them to stretch. Tell them that if they're not occasionally failing, then they're not aiming high enough. Celebrate failure if it's as a result of a child striving for an out of reach goal. And what comes with this is they said, don't bail kids out. They, they gave the example of when the kid at midnight says, oh, I have a project due tomorrow. And I'm sure I did that plenty of times with my parents. But they said that when we choose not to bail them out, we teach them that they can do hard things and that there are consequences to our actions. And I think we all know this, but the authors go a step further and they say we need to consciously create hard growth opportunities. And this applies to us and also to our kids. They say challenges help them hone and develop the capabilities necessary to succeed throughout their lives. Work backwards. Find the right experiences to help them build the skills they'll need to succeed. 
It's one of the greatest gifts you can give them. And so then they moved and they talked more about culture and how we can build a culture. They said culture is a way of working together toward common goals that have been followed so frequently and so successfully that people don't even think about trying to do things another way. If a culture has formed, people will autonomously do what they need to do to be successful. And they talked about how culture is built by daily decisions when we face challenges and problems. And I really like how this perspective empowers us to reframe obstacles. So I can only imagine how tough it is when a child isn't listening or doesn't want to go to bed, but hopefully this helps somewhat because we can reframe that situation and see it as an opportunity to build the culture we want in our family. So of course this isn't easy. It takes time, effort, and repetition. But I think in a lot of ways it's short-term pain for a long-term gain. The authors talked about how once you set up that culture, then you don't have to constantly monitor your employees or your children, that they'll just know what the right way to act is. And it's really important to remember they, they talked about how a culture will be built either way, whether we want it to or not. So we can consciously design one and work to build one, or we can have a culture by default that might not be helpful. And a big part of that goes back to our priorities. They said that we need to proactively design them into the culture, actively choosing what matters to us. So the Christiansons, they created a family motto. They worked it into conversation, taught their son how to act, and praised him when he did it. So they focused on specifically on kindness. And the authors said, if kindness is one of the values you want in your family, then the first time one of your kids approaches a problem where kindness is an option, help him choose it and then help him succeed through kindness. Make it rewarding and fun to do the right thing. Be consistent, make sure the kids know why we're doing it and always thank them. When the next problem arises, they'll intuitively respond with kindness. So that's just one example, but I think it's really powerful to take that step back and to think about what does our family value? And then we can build the culture that we want in our family. But as the authors say, if you do not consciously build it and reinforce it from the earliest stages of your family life, a culture will still form, but in ways that you may not like. The last section of the book is titled Staying Out of Jail. It's essentially comes down to the question, how can I be sure I live a life of integrity? And the authors talked about how small everyday decisions determine our destiny. They titled it the trap of marginal thinking. They said the marginal cost of doing something just this once always seems to be negligible but the full cost will typically be much higher. And I really liked, he talked about how 100% of the time is easier than 98% of the time. So if we hold to our principles and do the right thing 100% of the time, we won't fall into the trap of 
making excuses or finding ways out of doing things that we really should be doing. The author said, the next step is always a small one. And when people have already made a mistake, they'll rationalize and they'll say, given what I've already done, why stop now? But they gave an example, I won't go into all the details, of someone who made some really big mistakes and they said the cost didn't seem bad at the start, but for him, that one small step would result in losing everything he valued in his life, his freedom, his marriage, and his career. And they wrapped this section up by saying, decide what you stand for, and then stand for it all the time. So in closing, I really liked when Clayton Christensen was wrapping it up and he talked about how he measures his life. And he said, and, and just to give some perspective again, this is someone who professionally has been incredibly successful. He's a Rhodes Scholar, Harvard Business School graduate and professor, but that's not how he measures his success. That's not his identity. He said, the only metrics that will truly matter to my life are the individuals whom I have been able to help one by one to become better people. And he talked about how this purpose and this focus has guided his decisions and given him so much happiness and fulfillment in his life. So I really hope that you can take some time this week and I will do it as well to step back and to think about how will we measure our life? What is most important to us and how can we find that fulfillment and happiness that we're all looking for? So thank you so much for listening and for being here. We hope these lessons help you to build a great life this week. We'll see you on Tuesday.